0: Good morning Fellowship Rogers, how are y'all doing? If you're doing okay, say I am. Amen. Well, my name is Heath, and I'll uh, be leading uh, with this team this morning, and let me say it's a privilege and an honor to be here with you all. So let's, before we start singing, let's turn our minds and our focus and our attention and our thoughts towards the finished work of Christ Jesus. Not only Christ for us, the forgiveness of sin, not only Christ in us, the assurance of our salvation, our living hope, but also Christ through us, a great commission with Christ, a ministry of reconciliation. So let's consider, let's sing about it all. Let's consider what it all means. Let's say wow and thank you, and let's worship the Lord together this morning. Amen. Sing it with me. Come, let us worship our King. Come,
1: let us bow at His feet. We say He has done great things. See what our Savior has done and see how His love overcomes. For he has done great things. Yes, He has done great things. Sing it out, O oh, He, O oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and you break every chain. I've done
2: Well, good morning, fellowship. I am so glad that you are here this morning. My name's Sam, and I am the congregational leader, teaching pastor here at Fellowship Rogers. And I'd love to get to know you, and our team would love to help you become a part of our church where you move from visitor to family. From being just a face in the crowd to becoming a core part of who we are. And I want to give you a really simple game plan for doing that. It involves three things. One, we want you to worship with us consistently, shoulder to shoulder. We're going to do that this morning. Two, we want you to join a small group where you can sit across from someone face to face and study the scriptures. Fellowship is not just a church with small groups. We are a church of small groups. And we scatter all across Northwest Arkansas, gather in homes to study his word. And then three, we'd love for you to serve with us, linking arm in arm to make a difference at this place and in our community. So we invite you to join us. Come to the central booth in the foyer. Let us know who you are, and let's take you down that path. Hey, I have just a couple of things to remind you of. Legacy ministry, right after this service, you are gathering in the family center, join us today. Hey, if you are a engaged couple or you're seriously dating, you're headed towards marriage, we have an eight-week experience for you called Merge. And it launches very soon and we've got room for you. So if you're ready to take that step of preparing for that really important relationship, we've got mentoring couples, we've got great content, you can join us in that. And then also this morning, I just want to welcome Heath Gilbert to uh, join us to lead worship this morning. Heath is one of our friends, comes from Lafayette, Louisiana, so if you hear a little bit of spice in there, that's what that is, but we're so glad you're here Man, hey, and we're gonna start this morning by celebrating a life change story. We've got a baptism. Mr. Chance, take it away. Good morning, fellowship family. My name's Chance King. I work here on the student team, uh, FSM, Rogers specifically. And this morning I have Kai Hutchison with us. And Kai is an eighth grader, gonna be a ninth grader. And so today we get to celebrate baptism. And baptism is an outward expression of an inward belief. And so as Kai is trusted in Jesus, this morning we get to celebrate him and as he's gonna be dunked. And we also have his dad here, and his dad is going to baptize him. And we get to celebrate family discipleship, and that's a big thing. And so, Bobby, please. Thank you. Uh,
3: Our family, we have been so excited for this moment for quite some time. And uh, we want to thank our fellowship family and the children's ministry and the student ministry for their partnership and, and helping us grow our son's Uh, in the knowledge of God and and, uh, his word. So Kai, you ready to do this? Yes, sir. All right, well, is it part of your story that you have accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross for your sin and that you have uh, made the decision to commit yourself to following him and living for him in his kingdom? Yes, it is. Well, Kai, buddy, based upon your profession of faith. And in obedience to God's word, I baptize you, my brother, and my son, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life.
0: To sing about the good news of Jesus Christ.
1: How great the chasm that lay between us! How high that mountain I could not climb! In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke Your name into Then through the darkness, Your loving kindness it tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished; the end's been written. Jesus Christ,
0: my life. If you want, if you would, would you stand and continue singing? Who could imagine so great a mercy? Who could imagine so great a mercy?
1: What heart could fathom such boundless grace? That the God, the God of ages, stepped down from glory. cross has Sing it again. Then came the morning. That's sing- we
4: And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? some claimed that he was others said no he only looks like him but he himself insisted i am the man how then were your eyes opened they asked he replied the man they called jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes he told me to go to siloam and wash so i went and washed and then i could see
5: Maybe seated. In a church this size, or at least a gathering this size, there's probably someone who struggles with their vision or struggles to see, maybe possibly even someone who's blind, but for the majority of us, we have no idea what that would be like, do we? To, to, to not be able to see your entire life, what would that be like? Can you imagine, you're living your life and, and your vision is completely dark, without sight. You see, this man had navigated this his whole life. He wasn't able to see. He was born blind and not being able to see. And through an interaction with Jesus, that changed everything. For just a moment, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine this. Imagine how it might feel if, if, if you or someone close to you experienced a complete and instant healing. Maybe, maybe you struggle with something, a physical disability or challenge or a mental illness or a, a challenging health diagnosis or para, paralyzing pain or something traumatic in your life or you know someone in your family who's, who's struggling with that. Imagine that being instantly and completely taken care of. How would you feel? How would you respond? You can open your eyes. You see, that's what we're dealing with today. And sometimes as we look at these miracles, we we just kind of read through them and we forget that the magnitude and the majesty of what's happening, that through an interaction with Jesus, this man's life is changed forever If you're just joining us, we are actually in the middle of a three-part series in the book of John. This one's called The Miracles. And um, we're looking at just the miracles that John records. And this one is about a man who was born blind. And Jesus actually healed the blind on several other occasions. um, In Matthew chapter 9, chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 21. And also in the book of Mark in chapter 8 and 10. But this one's different. This one, he's actually healing a man who was born blind, who who had never had vision, had never seen before. Uh, This healing most likely occurs just after the festival, Feast of the Tabernacles. And and while Jesus was still in Jerusalem, some believe it actually occurred just outside the temple. Because if you look back at chapter 8, Jesus is uh, dealing with the religious elite, as he often does, and he, he he brings them to a place where they almost just, they can't handle him anymore. He he indicates to them that he is greater than their father Abraham, and they, they can't handle that. Matter of fact, some of them find themselves with a stone ready to stone Jesus, and then he slips away, and we turn the pages into chapter 9, and And with this still ringing in their ear, the the words from chapter 8, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And with that still ringing in their ears, we turn the pages to chapter 9. If you will, join me in verse 1. He says this. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. You see, the disciples, they bring up this interesting theological question. It's a a question compelled more by curiosity rather than compassion. More of a point of discussion rather than an object of compassion. And with the, the coming miracle healing, Jesus will show both the power of compassion and he'll show the disciples their purpose. You see, this is a two-fold passage. There's some incredible stuff going on here. And their, their theology assumes that this, this blind man, this blind beggar, did something wrong to deserve this, either him or his parents. And there was a belief in Jewish theology at the time that, that this was the case. They found that in writing. And look how Jesus responds in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I believe verses three and four, they they pack the power of the punch of this passage. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This specific suffering is not the result of a specific Sin, And you know what's interesting is that theology was prevalent in the Jewish culture, but I think it's still prevalent today. People sometimes tend to believe that, oh, they're suffering from something, they must have done something wrong. But most often, that's not the case. Now, Jesus isn't denying the, the, uh, the universal case of, of, of death and sin and suffering but what he is, he is denying is that this man, this blind beggar, did something wrong to deserve this. And we all know there are cases where we, our, our sin brings on suffering for us, don't we? But the, most of the time, that's not the case. And Jesus says the case here, his blindness and suffering are not the result of a specific sin. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened that God might be glorified in his life, that the works of God might be displayed. You see, as believers in Christ, we are God's workmanship. And how you handle blessing and suffering, both the good times and the bad, speak volumes to those watching. I've got a question for you. Do you believe that suffering can be used by God to bring about greater good? Do you believe it? Yeah, I've seen it equip tons of people for ministry. Matter of fact, oftentimes as ministers here, we'll we'll have something go on and I'll say, I know exactly who you need to talk to because they went through that and and they're walking with the Lord. They'd be a great resource. James says, he says, consider it all joy when you face suffering. It produces patience. It produces perseverance. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Jesus' power is made perfect in weakness. Then look at verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So after Jesus tells the disciples that the the purpose of the man's suffering so that the works of God might be displayed, then he gives them three incredibly powerful personal pronouns. Now, we know that a pronoun is typically focused on self, isn't it? It kind of looks towards us and, and, and Jesus uses those pronouns and he gives, he gives them a, a mission, a purpose. He says, we, Jesus and the disciples, must do the work of him, God the Father, who sent me, Jesus. Jesus said, hey, here's what we need to do. We need to do the work of God who sent me. And in one statement, he flips the script. Uh, the blind man's healing was not just about him was not just about compassion to him, that there's a whole purpose that the works of God might be displayed. you think that's possible for us as well as we deal with suffering, as we deal with the hard things of life, that there might be a purpose greater than us? And that brings up the question, what if it's not about you? What if it's not about me? What if, what if my life or my time, or my money, or my location, or my struggles, or my family? What if it's not about me? You see, sometimes I think in the church, we're guilty of, of, of cultivating this me-centered Christianity, aren't we? We want to make it just the right temperature so everybody will come. We want to have just the right music. We don't want it to be too loud or too soft or you know, too convicting. It's challenging, isn't it? But what if, what if it's not about us? What if it's about him and his kingdom and his glory? As the passage continues on, it says, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, Jesus gives this, this, this time allotment. He talks about day when he's gonna be here, his time on earth. Uh, the disciples' uh, time, an extension to us, do, to do the works, accomplish God while we're with us. So you think about it, He's 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 given us several metaphors here. He's saying day versus night. He's saying blind see versus blind. He's saying light versus darkness. And he's he's correlating these things over and over and over in the scriptures. And in the previous chapter, chapter eight of John, he talks about being the light of the world. Jesus says, "I am the light of the world." But you know what's interesting? If you look throughout the Gospels, actually in Matthew chapter 5, you know what Jesus says? You are the light of the world. You see, it's through Jesus that we become his lights. And he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And then what John's going to do is he's going to spend the next 20 plus verses and he's going to explain this miracle It's one of my favorite miracles to study. Look at verse six. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. A couple questions here. How much spit do you think it takes to make mud? Have you ever thought about that? You know, Jesus is spitting on the ground. You know, every young boy out there loves this verse. He's like, Mom, you see, it's okay to spit. Jesus spit. But how much spit would it take to make some mud? And can you imagine the time where, where Jesus makes the mud and he puts it on the man's eyes? You wonder, when was the last time that man would have been touched or that someone had paid attention to him or showed kindness to him? And then he sends him off to, to wash off the mud. He says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. You know, it's interesting, this pool of Siloam, I think, it was identified in the early 2000s, 2000, maybe 2004. There's aqueducts actually leading to it. Um, King Hezekiah, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you might have walked King Hezekiah's tunnel. Um, it's really cool. You put on your tevas. You can walk through the water. And what's interesting about it is it flows into the Pool of Siloam. And this Pool of Siloam has incredible spiritual significance for festivals and things like that. But you see on the map here, it's at the southern part, of the the lowest part of the map. You've got the Temple Mount above and then the Pool of Siloam. But this pool had incredible significance. It would have been very important. And it was important for the man first to obey, to go to the Pool of Siloam and not wash off somewhere else. But second, the pool, just like John said, it means sent. And what Jesus is communicating to them is that he is sent. And, and, and by that, the disciples are sent. And now he's telling this blind man, in, in an almost an interesting way, you will be sent. You see, I think Jesus is communicating the great commission through the salvation of this man, through the opening of his eyes. The next we're gonna see the, the, these, these witnesses come forward. It's almost gonna be like a trial. It's gonna be really interesting. And the first witnesses are, are the man's neighbors. And listen to what they say about him. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man, they called Jesus, made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Isn't that interesting? He's starting to give testimony about his changed physical life. That could be testimony for us. And next, the neighbor says, Well, where is this man called Jesus? And he says, I don't know. And so the, man, they take the, the neighbors take the man to the Pharisees. They say, We got to show this. We got to show them what happened. He's been blind from birth. And so the Pharisees bring witness number two, who is also the, the key evidence, the man. He's also the defendant, if you say. And he, they take him before the Pharisees, and look what happens. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and I now see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. You know, it's interesting. Jesus often heals on the Sabbath, doesn't he? And the Pharisees often get mad about it. And it's just almost like he continues to drive home this point that, you know, the man's not made for the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest is made to serve man, right? And Jesus continues to drive home. But they flipped it. But others ask, "How can a sinner perform such signs?" So they were divided. And it's almost like they're trying to divert attention away from the miracle that happened by by focusing on some other problem. Does that ever happen in your home? You're getting on to your kids about something, and then your kids always bring up something else, don't they? That's how we do arguments. And you see that with the the Pharisees here. They're trying to divert, and this is causing division. Some of the Pharisees said, This this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man and said, What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Do you see the transition? He's moving from, he calls Jesus, this man they call Jesus, I don't really know who he is. And now he says, I I think he's a prophet. They still do not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Enter The picture, witness number three. So we've had the neighbors. We've had the key witness, the man himself, and now we're going to hear from the parents. They keep it really simple. You can tell they're trying to kind of stay out of it. And and the reason they're kind of trying to stay out of it is because here's what's going on. No one wants to tell the religious elite that this miracle, this Jesus had done this miracle. They're all kind of scared of them. So here's what the parents do. They say this. We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And so they have to recall the witness. They have to bring back the key evidence. And look how he responds the second time. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Isn't that interesting? Basically, they say, hey, give glory to God. Tell us the truth, but we're going to tell you what the truth is. The truth is this man, Jesus, he's a sinner. And listen to how the man responds. You, You can notice this change of heart. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his disciples? Now you have to understand, do you see the edge he's bringing? you see how he's, and you've got to realize, this is the blind man who sat at the, probably the city gates. He, has, he had no job. People probably just walked by him and didn't pay any attention to him his whole life. And now he's standing before the the elitists of society and he's lecturing them. You see, something is changing in him. And it's powerful. In verse 32, he says this, he says, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, okay, now he's saying he's from God. He could do nothing. To this, they replied, "You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us?" And they threw him out. So he's moved from some guy called Jesus that they call Jesus, to, well, maybe he's a prophet, to from God. This man's from God. You see, he's moving from, from being blind to beginning to see you see the heart change happening? He's beginning to believe. And I want you to see how Jesus responds to this. Jesus says this in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Can you imagine the moment? The guy's probably hearing his voice going, Oh, he's the guy. You know, I've never seen him before because I was blind last time he was with me. He, he touched me. He talked to me. But now I'm seeing him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. What an incredible transition. If you're here today and you're, you're wondering about Jesus and you're not sure if you really have a relationship with Jesus, you see the progression. It's not prescriptive, it doesn't have to be exactly like this, but we all went from being blind, those of us who believe in Christ, to, to starting to see, to believing. There's a progression that happens. The man they call Jesus, oh, maybe he's a prophet. He's, he's definitely from God. Lord, I believe. You know, each of us, interesting enough, was this blind beggar, weren't we? Maybe you weren't physically blind. Maybe we've been able to see all our life. Maybe you suffer with something or you struggle with something that you'd love to be released of. But we see here that God can use our, our both the blessings and the struggles of life to be incredible works to glorify him. But we've all started as this blind beggar who needed to be, begin to see and believe. What if the life you have, the challenges you faced, the giftings and passions God's given you is for something bigger than you and me? What if the struggles we face are meant to give glory to and testimony to God. Each of us has a story. It's a powerful story. It's a personal story. It's a story that's meant to be shared. It's a story that's meant to give glory to God. But I'll tell you this, it's not the big story. There's this idea of God's story is the big story. Our story is the little story. It should fit into his story. And sometimes I think, and I do the same thing, I think I reverse it. I think, well, God's needs to be about me because we've got things to do here but I need to realize that his story is the big story. Mine's the little story, and it's personal, and it's powerful, and I need to share it, but it needs to point towards his story. Hey, we're gonna move into a time of communion, um, and we're gonna, so we'll close the service today. We're actually, we're gonna move into a time of worship, of song, and, and through communion, and I wanna encourage you, don't tune out. Don't miss the moment. If God's stirring in you right now, lean into that. Close your eyes if you need to. Get on your knees if you need to. If he brings some sin to mind, confess it. If he brings a struggle to mind, talk to him about it. But let's prepare our hearts to come to the table to remember that his body was broken for us. His blood really was shed for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful. Grateful for your word. We're grateful for Jesus and the miracles that authenticate who he is and what he does. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe. You you would open our eyes to what you're doing. Lord, you would use us in the workplaces and in the neighborhoods and in the stores and the coffee shops all over Northwest Arkansas. But Lord, we would, we would be confident to step out in faith. And as we come to the table right now, help us just to remember you. Remember your son and what he's done.
1: Upon that day The greatest love The punishment That should have fallen on us Was upon him Upon him Upon his head a crown of thorns Upon his heart A broken world The wage of sin All the weight of our transgressions Was upon Him Upon Him Christ has died Now we are forgiven Christ the light. Sweet are the reason, and he shall come.
5: Got to tell you this story. Uh, it's a story. of My friend named Michael Colver. He's a new friend of mine. We actually met at the men's retreat. Um, just happened a month ago. Uh, he's in all of those pictures up there. And I was in a small group with him. And our leader was Damon Helt. And if you know Damon, he's somebody who's strategic and passionate about Jesus. And it didn't take me long to realize that uh, Michael and another guy, and maybe more guys in the group, were being discipled by Damon. And to know a little bit about Michael's story, you need to know this, that he, he met his, uh, his wife-to-be. It was his childhood crush, his next-door neighbor. And, uh, but they didn't really connect until she moved away, and they connected after high school. And, and it was before his second tour in Iraq they actually got married. And he said it, being gone in Iraq was hard on him, and it was hard on their marriage, as you can imagine. He said he did almost 20,000 miles um, driving a, a, a personal carrier um, in Iraq, took six roadside bombs. It was hard being gone, and when, as he came back and and this young marriage, um, it was hard to come back. It, hard to transition back in. And then he said, um, "There were particularly difficult time. Fast forward ten years, a particularly difficult time in his marriage. They got invited to fellowship. Um, he and Heather." and uh, by Daniel and Ariel, husband. And so they came, and they joined our marriage ministry, Reengage. And guess who happened to be their leader? Damon and Nikki helped. And that's how him and Damon got to know each other. And they began meeting together, processing life together. And Michael said, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. And he says, well, this is a process for me. I moved from being blind to beginning to see, to believing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, about two years ago, Damon and Michael went to a men's conference together called Men's Encounter um, after they'd gone through reengage and started coming to fellowship. And, and it was at this men's encounter at New Life Ranch that Michael prayed to receive Christ. He said, You know, I've been thinking about it for a while, it was a process, but it was at that, time, that weekend he prayed to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He believed. Well, he said after that, it was the best year of Heather and I's marriage. But then in early March of this year, Heather was diagnosed with stage four cancer. The, the 29th day of March, that same month, Heather went to meet Jesus. And he was, she was welcomed by him. And I share this story for two reasons. One, I want you to pray for this grieving young man join me in doing it. But two, he was the blind beggar. Michael was. And so was I. And so were you. And he moved from being blind to seeing, to believing. And now he's he's going through this incredible challenge in his life. I'm watching as he and his mentor and those around him, he's trying to do it so that the works of God may glorify God. It's a wonderful story. And that's the story in the scriptures. That's the story of the testimony we've heard today. That's our story. You know, it's interesting. So fast forward two years uh, later at our men's retreat last month when Michael and I met, um, I heard that he had indicated that, man, this is a special place. And so I want to do something special here. And he, he wanted to be baptized He wanted to make a public profession of his personal decision, and he wanted Damon to be a part of it. And so at our men's retreat uh, just last month, this happened. Watch this.
2: Michael, Michael, is
5: it your story that you believe that Jesus walked
2: this earth, crawled on the cross and died,
5: and was resurrected again? Not only do I believe it, but I'll live it to the very last. breath. we're gonna leave this body. Brother, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. Michael Culver. Pleasure Michael to meet you. Thank you. I thought it would only be appropriate for him to help lead us through communion today. Would you stand? Church, the body of Christ, broken for you. Take and eat. The blood of Christ, shed for you. Take and drink Fellowship, may we be a community of believers that has eyes to see. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we would love to process that with you today. Somebody sitting next to you can process that. You can come to our prayer room. Alan, Kristen, Stevan would love to process that. No pressure, just conversation. We'd love for you to join a small group. But fellowship, may we be a community of believers who have our eyes up and looking out in the neighborhoods. And in the workplaces and everywhere we go, may we be willing to share our story and let, may it point to God's story. May this place, Northwest Arkansas, and by extension, the world be different because we let our lights shine bright. God bless you. Have a great week.